Um, Manuela, can we we can you take me through a setup? Like how many how many patients or uh, yeah, well, say patients would you have at one time, and how would you control this group? And what's going on with the group? Like, surely you don't have one doctor or one nurse in there scribbling notes quickly or anything like that. Well, as you know, we have six years now of experience doing group work um, with first responders, military members, veterans who've had operational stress injuries, PTSD, but especially our interest has been in the moral injury piece of it. So I find the energy that comes along with group work to be really intriguing, and I think that we need to do more group work um, if we're really going to be able to leverage our mental health resources. So I'm really fascinated in the opportunity for doing group work involving, you know, ketamine and possibly down the road other psychedelics as they become more legal. Mm-hmm. So again, I think our focus is always been on having the right setting, which means if we're going to do a group, we want to make sure that the people that are brought into the group are the right ones that will all kind of mesh together. And um, so, of course, you want to have, again, the setting has to involve having the right people on board, the right participants and the right professionals to keep everything safe. And of course, again, everything is so off-label, we have to be extremely careful with anything that we're going to do. So there's the medical aspect, there's the proper screening of people, making sure they don't have any medical contraindications. And of course, you have to have all of the safety equipment in case anyone has an adverse medical reaction to anything that you're doing. And then so there's... you have a crash cart there. Oh, absolutely. You, you would know all that stuff from your training, what you want to have on board. But for me, it's really being able to effectively confer the attitudes, expectations, and the preparedness of the group. Um, People have to feel safe. They have to have surroundings with people and professionals and the environment, which becomes a very important player, where they're ready to receive. They're ready to be open to whatever experiences come along. So I don't know of a lot of people who are doing the psychedelic work in groups, other than, of course, if you go to Peru and you do an ayahuasca ceremony, you're going to have a lot of people around. I've never done that. Uh, I've heard of quite a few people who have. It sounds quite intriguing. But um, the group work, like I said, is something that we're very familiar with, and we have so much respect for the energy that comes out of having a well-formed and well-facilitated group So I think incorporating the psychedelic to the group experience the way we've learned that it can be effective just appears to me to be like a new frontier. Okay, you say it's a new frontier. How how does that mesh with your your current uh, treatment plan with uh, Project Trauma Support? How how does that meld? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) So we've come to understand that, you know, you and I have talked about this before, PTSD, a diagnosis of PTSD as per the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual is one thing. But we've really come to believe that very often the burden of suffering doesn't come from the classic PTSD symptoms. It very often comes from the moral injury piece. And we've talked about that, you know, the moral injury being the injury that's really affecting the heart and soul of a person, which, you know, you can 
get when you're maybe in a situation where you've had to do something that just does not feel right and goes against your idea of what's right and wrong, or maybe you weren't able to do something um, that you really wanted to jump in and do, but no, that was against protocol, or you, you just see things that are overwhelmingly sad and you're just powerless to stop it or have any input into the outcome. So, you know, the, the moral injury symptoms are shame, guilt, overwhelming sadness, demoralization, and then, you know, we see so many people, too, who have institutional trauma, or what we call sanctuary trauma. That's another form of moral injury. So, so sanctuary trauma being your organization has let you down in some way? Oh, yes. And, you know, it's not just the organization. It can be the people you thought were your comrades. It can be, you know, your command staff. It can be leadership failure. It could be your insurance company or whoever is supposed to be looking after you. So we kind of define sanctuary trauma as that trauma that happens to you, that sense of, you know, just injustice and having been wronged when, you know, you wore the uniform with pride, you did everything you had to do, you put yourself on the line, your physical self, your emotional self, your psychological self, your family, you make so many so many sacrifices for the job, for the uniform, for the flag, and you sort of think that, you know, when things go sideways, your organizations are going to be there to take care of you. But they're instead not. Instead of that happening, they seem to turn around, tromp on you, make everything worse. And that's a really difficult thing for people to deal with. And we're seeing more and more of that. So, just to follow this rabbit hole for just a second. Sure. <laughs> I think it's our first rabbit hole, so we're doing all right. Um, I, I, it's been my experience in the last couple of years that I meet more and more people with moral trauma coming out of the military. And the military is where my expertise, if you will, lies. And uh, I, I often told uh, the people that worked for me that, yes, the military is there for you while you're in uniform. If you're killed tomorrow or quit or whatever, you're replaced that quickly. So don't expect that they're going to be for you in the end. You're, you're going out that gate, and except for the relationships you've built, hopefully in both the military and non-military uh, environment, that you've built these 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 members these relationships to help you get through that. I feel like I've been kicked out the door. Um, they didn't deal with my. I just witnessed a um, schoolhouse on fire, and I couldn't do anything about it. Um, those kind of stories. Um, where was I going with that? I, I think I think moral trauma is probably one of the the bigger um, pieces of the pie when it comes to PTSD. I could not agree with you more. And, you know, they sort of skim over that a little bit in the DSM definition and diagnostic criteria for PTSD, but I just don't think it's given the airtime that it deserves. And, you know, in what we've learned, I would say that it is really moral injury that causes, you know, maybe 80% of the suffering in a lot of cases. And I really think it's that moral injury and sanctuary trauma that's more likely to drive a person to suicide and you know PTSD and the interesting thing is you can medicate you know some of the PTSD symptoms you can deal with um, you know nightmares um, with medication you can deal with some of the anxiety and hypervigilance with medication but when it comes to the moral injury medication just doesn't touch it so there's a huge challenge and there's a kind of a huge opportunity as well. And we've learned that the way you can really help people who have a moral injury, you know, really this is an injury to your very heart and soul. Like I said, it's an injury to your being. And I think the best way to deal with that is through connection and somehow getting 
in touch with your own experience and your own human story and connecting that with the story of others. Yeah. I, I think I think part of the problem with uh, with moral trauma is it is so deep rooted, but it, it it's comes from your social background as well. I mean, if you're if you're a soldier from a deeply religious uh, background, and your job is now to <clears throat> excuse me to go out and kill somebody, um, to make those calls when you've been taught all your life that it's wrong, um, has got to have a large impact on you. It sure does. And like I said, I'm so glad you asked about why I feel the work with ketamine dovetails so nicely with what we do in the Project Trauma Support Program. I really think that um, what we've learned to treat moral injury, you really need to have a connection. And you've heard me say this as well, a, a connection to yourself and your own story. You need to have some way of looking at what you've been through and reprocess it and maybe know that you did not go through all this for nothing. And maybe ask yourself some really deep soul-searching questions like, why was it me? Why was I there? Yeah. What did I bring to the situation? What was I meant to learn from all this? And sometimes it just teaches you tolerance or compassion or gives you a front row seat to the human condition and all its ugliness. But then there's the connection to others. You know, that's so important too because I really do believe that as human beings we come into the world and we're hardwired for hardship. Life is going to be difficult. There's going to be challenges. No one gets out of this unscathed. You know, there's there's hardship, there's difficulty, there's tragedies, there's trauma. We're, we're all going to face it. But the flip side of that, the antidote, is we're also hardwired with, for connection. You know, we need to come together, and I think human beings are basically herd animals. We need to protect each other, look out for each other, which unfortunately we're not seeing so much sometimes in the world today. <laughs> no. But I really think there's a... Th- third level of connection and that's your connection to something greater than yourself yeah and i really think that we need to explore that a lot more let's let's hold that that's a good break right there and we'll we'll come back to uh to that point in just a second just uh so that's the end of part one with manuela uh part two coming right up